Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm Alice Tynan, and what a beautiful room. Um, I'm a host at After's Friday on My Mind, but today I'm absolutely delighted to be here to chat with Kate Shortland and Saskia Rosenthal. Um, let's get straight into it. Kate, you mentioned this was a, a very personal story for you. Can you tell us how, it, how you came about and how you were drawn to the story? Sort of the genesis of it, I suppose, was Liz Watts gave the book to my husband as a birthday present and then I went to Scotland and Paul Welsh, um, who's a producer, asked me to read the book. And it felt quite personal because my husband's family um, left Berlin in 1936. Um, his grandmother is a German Jew and had been brought up in Berlin. So the issues were close to me and I'd spent quite a lot of time in Germany. I love being in Germany, always have. And Saskia, this is your first film. Yes, it is. Wow, first of all, round of applause. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful performance. Can you talk about what, at what stage you came on board the production? Can you repeat it, please? When did you, when did you come on board the film? Um, just like a few days before the rehearsal started. So it was really yeah, close to the beginning of shooting. Wow. And how did you respond to the character of Loha? It was really, um, you know, when I came into this whole thing, I was like thrown into and um, had really no chance to think about it a lot. Um, we had to, I talked a lot with Kate and um, the dramaturg, Hannah. Yeah, and then I got I got to know this person just by shooting, was during the shooting, and um, it was full on because she's a really strong, complicated character, um, and I try to concentrate on herself as a person and try to understand why she acts like that, and yeah. Sometimes it felt strange, but I got to know her quite well. Fantastic. Kate, let's talk a little bit about the character and the process of adapting the book. Can you, can you talk to us about how you did that with your co-writer? Yeah, I worked with the British writer, Robin, um, on the first two drafts, and then I started writing myself, um, and I had a German script editor um, Franz Rodenkircher, and he was really instrumental in um, how we thought about the Holocaust, how we thought about the war, how we thought about how Germans deal with history, and um, the character's psychology, so that it, we everything had, the story had to come from the book, but also we had to adapt it so that it felt fresh and alive and that it made sense to the characters we were creating. And our Laura is about three years older than the Laura in the book. Um, so Laura in the book was 12 and we thought our Laura was about 15. And that added a kind of, um, I suppose, a sexual element that was, um, it was in the book, but it was understated, and we sort of brought that out to the fore with the relationship between her and Thomas. 
And also it seemed to me that the fairy tale aspect was really drawn out and you kind of see, you know, is, is Thomas the wolf of the story or, you know, is this a Hansel and Gretel tale? Was that an aspect that you wanted to draw out? Yeah, it was. And Franz and I talked a lot about the whole history of fairy tales in um, in Germany, and that the the way that National Socialism also um, used nature. Um, nature was a huge part of the movement. So the whole film, the way that we look at Germany, um, the way we we look at the um, the music, everything had to do with, um, I suppose, what was happening in in the build-up to the to the war and um, and during the war and and how the the children were affected by that because our characters would have been born um, when the National Socialists were in power so that was all they knew they had they had no other um, way of looking at life except through those windows so in that respect the propaganda becomes a large part of the film and you were saying last night that you got the children to learn quite a lot of propaganda songs. Yeah, the, the children, um, music was a huge part of the movement and so was dance. So um, Saskia and um, Nila learnt um, dances that were popular, that the girls learnt in Hitler Youth. They learnt um, songs. Um, yeah, we sort of, we looked at it from a child's perspective, like the children um, didn't celebrate Christmas. It, it became a pagan festival um, for, for, the, for the family, things like that. They didn't know who um, Jesus Christ was, so when they're looking at the crucifix on the farmer's house, they're not sure who that would be. That's how sort of um, cultish the family would have been. That's quite striking because now you think about it, there is quite a lot of religious iconography in the film and that's all a process of alienation then or of, of discovering what they wouldn't have known before. Yeah, even after, um, just as the war was ending, we heard about um, funeral services that were national socialist funeral services. So they didn't even have any kind of Christian songs or hymns they would use um, Nazi propaganda songs to be sung at a funeral. So when you think about that, it becomes a whole world view. There's, there's, there was nothing else in the children's life but, but that world. Wow. Saskia, what about you? How was it for you going to discover the Third Reich and Nazi Germany as a young German woman yourself? Um... My, the mother of my grandmother always told me about her experiences about that time. Um, so she was Catholic and had to flee. So she, wa she was a refugee. <laughs> and um, I, it's really a new um, way of looking at this story. I mean, in Germany, we like every year we learn about um, the German history and all the stuff um, with Hitler and so on. But I um, never thought about the children really and their way of seeing this time and um, especially not Nazi children. Um, so it was really all new for me and yeah, 
Um, it was it was all new. Yeah. Did it also did it give you a new understanding of your own history? Yes, it did because it was um, strange at the ending of the shooting. I felt like I kind of um, experienced this time, um, but actually I'm far away from it. Um, I'm living in this country, but I only hear stories about it or in history lessons. But yeah, then I felt like I somehow lived away in this time, yeah. Wow, that's extraordinary. Kate, there's an adage in filmmaking to never work with children or animals, and you do both. Can you talk to us a bit about having such a young cast and the challenges? Uh, the challenges were immense. Mostly, having a baby on set is complicated, and having a baby in about half of the scenes in the film was really difficult. And you might have noticed that our baby liked to cry. Um, we really had that baby with us for the whole journey. And when he was offset, he was a really happy little fellow. And then when he saw the cameras and when he would see Saskia, he'd start screaming. <laughs> Yes, we, we heard that last night, that it, Saskia, it was your fault that... Or actually, it was your, to your credit that you got Peter crying so often. Um, one of the big challenges was that in Germany, you're only allowed to shoot for four hours with children under the age of 12 or under the age of 15. So Adam Markapur, who was the cinematographer, I think his challenges were even more immense than mine because... He was just rushing constantly. He said it was his worst job ever in terms of stress. Um, it was complicated. It, but the children never really complained. I, I, even in the, some of the scenes where they were standing in mud and I was getting upset, they, they would always keep going, wouldn't they? Yeah. They, the, the kids were real troopers, actually. And that made me uncomplaining, I think. We just we just had to keep going. It was a bit of an army and it was. And Saskia, how was it being a big sister to all of your on-screen siblings? Um, it felt like I really would be the sister even when we were not on set. And um, it was funny because the two little boys and Nele, the girl, um, were like fighting all the time against each other and having fun and um, afterwards the two boys came to me and just wanted to hug me and um, yeah, they really became like siblings for me and we met afterwards again. They became like family. Yes, they did. <laughs> How lovely. Now, uh, Kate, you mentioned Adam Arkapur before, and we know him from Animal Kingdom and Snowtown, his extraordinary work. Could you tell us a bit about developing the look of the film? Because it is so striking. You've spoken a little bit about the nature aspect, but how did you develop almost the, the beautiful portraiture of the children as well? Um, we looked at uh, a lot of photography from the 1930s, for the styling of the for the children and for the the styling of all the people through the film, we we're really aware that we didn't want it to look like a generic um, period film, and we wanted it to look quite different. Um, so Adam and I approached it uh, 
like a documentary. So Silke Fisher, who was the fantastic designer, would design these, like the beautiful house that the parents live in at, at the beginning. Um, and then basically Adam would come in and shoot it um, like a documentary. I think we only put the camera on a track, um, maybe twice in the film, or three times, and for the rest of the film it was handheld. So it was really interactive with the kids, and I think that really helped because we had such a short amount of time to shoot. What was, your, what was the shooting schedule? Well, we had a lot of weeks, but we only had, say, four or five hours a day, so we were sort of, it was constantly rushing. Wow. Yeah, and the other striking aspect of the film is, of course, the music. And if we remember back to Kate's first film, Somersault, you had Dakota Ring do an almost fairy tale-like score to that. Can you talk a little bit about working with Max Richter? Um, yeah, Max Richter is an um, English composer that lives in Germany. He's done a film called Waltz with Bashir, um, which some of you might know. He's a great composer. So we looked at music from the modernist um, music from the 30s. So we looked at Karl Orff, and, um, who's a German. He was a composer that the National Socialists used for the 1936 Olympics. Um, and we looked at um, Polish composers, Czech composers, British composers who were composing in that time. And they, um, it was really the f these huge clusters of strings um, that was sort of the signature of that first real movement into modernism. And it came out of the First World War and the horror of the First World War. Um, sort of dictated this style of music. So that was um, where we, we sort of, our genesis of the music. And we, then we were looking at sort of cyclical things. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the music's got this sort of cyclical feel to it. And um, he is very much into that because his whole style is that sort of, um, yeah, very modern, beautiful. Okay, I, it occurs to me that we've spoken about the challenges of making the film with the children. We haven't spoken about the challenges of making a German language film. Now, one of your shorts, A Flower Girl, you made in, in Japanese, did that prepare you for making a German language film? No, I don't think so. <laughs> in a um, word, no. I think the challenges were... It wasn't just um, shooting on set that was a challenge. It was... The whole, it was, the whole production was the German crew and the Australian crew, and we had to make that work as, a, as one unit. And that started in pre-production, that started with the co-production because it was a Scottish-German-Australian co-production. So it's been complicated from the outset. Um, but we had a, on set we had a translator and she was the dramaturg. So that made it a lot easier. And I think you can see um, you can see good performance or truthful performance, uh, even if somebody's speaking in a foreign language. Yeah. It's why we all love watching film. When sometimes you're not even aware that you're watching subtitles. You're just so mesmerised by the performance. And I could always see that with Saskia, and that was one of the reasons I cast her, because she's just such a truthful, um, intelligent actor, and I really had to trust... I really had to trust my actors because um, I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> and Saskia, from, from your perspective, how was it working for the first time with an Australian director? 
Um, it was great because Kate is great and she really trusted us. Um, she just let us uh, do what we felt like. So um, when we were rehearsing, um, we just improvise. Uh, improvise oh no, <laughs> improvise a lot. Yeah. Um, and then she re uh, she really observed what we were doing and then took a lot of um, our ideas into the script and into the film. And um, even during the shooting, she said, oh, if you feel like um, closing your eyes, no, if you feel like saying something else, now just say it. And afterwards I told her what I said. And um, yeah, it was so really great. you did some translation yourself? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Saskia would often have to translate for me. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. often. <laughs> so you had dual role on this film. You were tr half translator, <laughs> half star. Um, now, before I open it up to the audience, so please get your questions ready, uh, I wanted to talk about the idea of coming to terms with the past and the themes of this film. Now, there's a, a term in German called Vergangenheitsbewältigung, the idea of coming to terms with the past. Is that something that you were reckoning with in the process of this production? Yeah, I think we, Liz Watts and I and Paul Welsh, that was one of the things that drew us to the film because, especially for Liz and I, living in Australia and our country not dealing with its history, it was really an interesting idea to make a film about people that were struggling with exactly the issues that we struggle with and that our country struggles with or doesn't struggle with. So for me, even though it was a film set in Germany, it was incredibly relevant to our own history and to present day Australia. I think in this city, we don't have a museum. Like in Germany, they're constantly interrogating their past. There's museums all over Germany that deal with the Holocaust. There's when you walk along the footpath in Berlin, there's little stones in the road that tell you which Jewish family was taken out of this building. So they're constantly dealing with their history and as white Australians, we don't deal with ours. So for Liz and I, that was one of the reasons that we were really interested in this film because it gave us the opportunity to talk about that. That's fantastic, and a great note to open it out. Do we have questions from the audience? Apparently we've got, look for the little blue-shirted people, and we can ask some questions. Uh, yeah, I have a question about the character of Thomas. Um, once we learn he's not who we think he is, was it your intent that we just assign him any identity that we might want? I mean, could he have been a deserter or a communist or a Jew who had perhaps stolen another Jew's identity? Are, are we just, is that meant left, left uh, meant to be just open-ended? It was, actually. We really, he was probably the character that we talked, I mean, Laura as well, but Thomas was the character that we would have spoken most about. And even though it's not in the film, I looked at so many histories of boys like that and which camps, if he was in a camp, he would have been in. There was youth camps for young criminals. Um, there was one called Ra Ravensbrook. He might have been in a place like that. 
And what we felt was important was at the end of the film, we didn't say what his identity was because the whole of fascism is about dictating what your identity is. So we really wanted to leave that open for the audience to say, so who was he? And Rachel Seifert, who wrote the novel, always, uh, there's a beautiful quote, she says, he was not good or bad, he was both. So I think, I think that's important that you're not sure who he is. Question over uh, here. Congratulations on the film. I'm just wondering whether you could comment on the role of the mother. Um, she seemed such a complex character. There seemed to be little empathy between herself and you, Saskia, as the eldest child. She seemed in absolute turmoil, clearly, because of the situation she found herself in with her husband. But could you comment on what you were trying to take from her role, actually. I mean, she was obviously the wife of someone who was in the um, SS, her complicity, all of that, but there was, seemed to be a lack of empathy with her own children, or I sensed that anyway, or a distance between herself and her children and their eventual reality when she actually chose to leave them. So I just wondered if you could comment on that. Um, yeah, what it was, I mean, it was a fascinating um, story, the mother. Not many women were um, incarcerated by the Allies at the end of the war. The women that were incarcerated were, had to be instrumental in some way um, within, within the party. So the mother ha had to have had a role within the party. Either she could have run a children's home, she could have run a home for young girls, she could have... So the mother had to have had that sort of a role. Um, what we were interested in was people that are involved... We looked at modern-day cults, people that are so indoctrinated that family um, starts to mean less to them than the um, person that they idolise. So actually the mother is more indoctrinated by the party and by her love for the Führer and cares more about that than her own children. And <clears throat> when I started working on the film, the people I was working with started to bring me photographs of women that had murdered their children at the end of the war because they didn't want... I mean, we have the famous cases, but there was a, quite a lot of German families that killed their kids at the end of the war because they didn't want them living in a non-national um, socialist world. And that's what we thought Mutti was. Wow, and she really does, as soon as she finds out that the Fuhrer is dead, she goes into an almost catatonic state, doesn't she? It's extraordinary. Do we have another question? Just down here. Uh, could you comment on the... Uh sexual encounter between uh, the, the two main characters uh, where she initiates or seems to initiate a sexual encounter uh, and then seems perhaps to regret it. Uh, are you, uh, am I making myself clear as to what episode that was? I think so. I think so. Um, I'm just thinking about their relationship. I think maybe Saskia can talk about the relationship with Thomas and the strange sort of sexual side and the psychological side? Yeah, um, the thing is that Laura was taught to hate Jews. She was um, just educated 
grow uh, with that. She grew up with that, and that was, um, yeah. As soon as soon as she realized that he was a Jew um, at the drug, the American drug, when he shows the papers, um, she knew that he is the one to hate, and um, yes. It was like her whole body just struggled and uh, didn't want to yeah, touch him. She actually didn't want to, um, yeah, didn't want to see him at all, kind of. Uh, but at the same time, he was the one who helped her. And um, by the time she got to know that she couldn't do that without him, and. She kind of, um, the whole film is about her noticing that her picture, uh, picture or image of the world, she, as she got to know it, um, is wrong. And then she got to know that um, Jews are just humans, as she is one. Um, in that way, it's a loss of innocence on lots of levels, isn't it? It's a loss of innocence yeah. for her to yeah. have to become a mother to her siblings. It's a loss of innocence kind of in the, sh yeah. in the sexual side of things as well. Yeah, she was, um, she got really attracted to him. Do you say it like that? Yeah. And um, in the end, she as um, when she says, um, I hate you, you're a liar, you, um, all Jews are, and you can't do anything else. Um, she actually, Inside her, she says, I love you, stay with me. And that's really um, strange because, yeah, she's attracted to him, but also really doesn't want him to be with them. Yeah. And for, for you, Kate, is that something that you were wanting to really bring out, that push and pull between love and hate and within a country and within a character? Yeah, I think... She's been, she's, I mean, the whole, it, when you study the, the movement, the people were taught that Jews were dirty, that they would spread plague, things like that, that they were like vermin. <clears throat> but at the same time, this girl that had been taught that was really physically attracted, as a young 15-year-old girl would be, to this boy. So what I was trying to show was that her, her intellect was almost fighting with her phys physical, her emotions and that we're all human beings, she can't... The propaganda started to just fall away and she just started to become a young girl again. We've got a question up the back here. Hi, Kate. Uh, in my opinion, I think it was you that helped propel and launch the careers of Abby and um, Sam. What is it you look for when you're casting an actor in your films, in an actor? I think we all look for truth. We all look for somebody that um, you feel something for, and Saskia has that in spades. She's really intelligent, and she's um, uh, she won't play a scene unless she can play it truthfully. And it was the same with Kaimalina, the the guy that played Thomas. Even though his English wasn't very good. He'd really argue with me in the rehearsals and say, that's, you know, he'd say, that's bullshit. I, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't say that. Like, he actually had a lot, a lot more dialogue in the script, but 
he refused to say it. <laughs> Can you give us an example of that? Uh, just things that were sort of expositional, or there was, there was scenes where he actually told Saskia that he'd been in a camp. And he said, why would he tell her that? There's, you know, I love actors like that. That are, Actors are really smart. Good actors are really smart. I don't know where the myth has come from that actors are stupid. Because they understand human psychology. They understand what propels us to do the things we do. And that was one of the reasons that he just refused to play something that wasn't truthful. And I think um, Saskia is the same. So I just look for truth. I look for... Um, something I look for desire I have to kind of desire my actors like does it matter even with someone like the river man the that old guy he he's a funny strange man I mean I'm just interested in funny strange people as well so I don't know I, I just I don't know the same thing that makes you look at somebody on the street but that thing about intelligence and truth I think that's the main thing Excellent. Do we have another question? Just down here. Hi. Um, you talked about uh, the amount of research you did into this film, and Saskia talked about um, how much it affected her. And I just wondered what your journey was now that it's locked off. What, what's it like? What's the journey out of a film that's as troubling as this one is, you know? What, what's it like? Can you leave it behind? What do you do now that you've created this, this thing? I think at times I really was disturbed by the material. I had to understand, even though the parents are only in the film for a small amount of time, I had to really understand the parents. And because the father works in Belarus, which was one of the worst places, I had to really look at the Einsatzgruppen, which was the mobile death squads, really. That's what the translation is. So things like that I had to really research and the whole genesis of the Holocaust, it was difficult. And it was difficult because I had to go to Germany quite a lot. And sometimes I was on my own doing that research and Paul Welsh was there quite a bit with me. So we had some dark times. But um, I think what it's, it's just really made me question my role as an Australian and why it's not dealt with, why we're not, why is it so difficult to be truthful about our past? And why is that such a difficult thing to acknowledge as a country? And I think that's the best thing for me that's come out of it. And what about you, Saskia? How's it been, what has been the experience now you've finished your first film? It's awesome. <laughs> um, but. I think I'll realize it when I'm back in Germany. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to bring the film to my family and so on, to show them. Yeah, um, it's really good to be here because now I feel like I finished it before it was just in my head all the time and now I can calm down. Yeah. Now, you've seen, now you've seen the film twice. I did. <laughs> What did, you, what did you get out of it the second time that you didn't get out of it the first time? Um, I, the second time I saw it more like a movie um, and I realised that I really love it because it's got such a big part in my life and Kate got and the whole um, shooting time got, yeah. 
Lovely. Do we have another question? Hang on. I think back, back here first. This side. Thanks. Uh, for Kate, uh, what were your main sources of inspiration in both a literary, uh, literary and film perspective for, for making the film? So, like, what were your, like, were there previous films, previous books that um, really, like, inspired you to make, to make law? There's a really beautiful Russian film called Come and See by Klimov, and it's about children. That was um, very inspiring and um, Bresson films with kids, um, Terence Malick, Eric Roma's first film was just in terms of letting people be in an environment and that's okay and not having them to ask, just watching people rather than having dialogue-driven scenes. Yeah, but I think the biggest influence would have been Come and See. Yeah. Great. We've got a question down here. Um, Kate, I haven't heard Don't Bring Lulu for about 50 years. It was the, my favourite scene in the film. I loved it. But my question is, was the film, and can I assume it was shot in chronological order? It, it wasn't. It, it, we started off shooting in Gurlitz, which was the first um, scenes, but then we had to change a little bit. We did end the shoot in the on, in the Baltic, which was great. Was was that hard for you, Saskia, shooting out of order in the different scenes? Um, sometimes it was, but all in all, we kind of followed the journey. So we started in Görlitz, but then we went to um, South Germany, where the film started, and went northwards. So. It was kind of in the right order. Just some scenes were mixed up, but um, not that much. Geographically, you're in the, the same, the right place. Yep. Great. Do you have another question here? Thank you. Uh, I'd like to congratulate you on, on the film. My mother left Berlin in 1938, and I grew up with this. And uh, I would have to say that it's... Uh, very difficult. I found it a very difficult look, but I don't want to talk so much about my own reaction to it. I'm interested, though, in what we should make of how the film ended, of, of Saskia uh, uh, breaking the objects and being fed up with her grandmother. I'm very interested in what your take is on, on the ending, what it is that you sought to communicate by that ending, because... I found myself thinking, how are you going to end this film? So that's the reason for my question. Thank you. We thought that the, it couldn't be a redemptive ending. We were really trying to avoid the idea that um, there'd been some sort of coming to terms with it or anything like that. We wanted to avoid that at any cost because I don't, we don't believe that there was within that family at that time. So, but at the same time, we realised that Laura, as a character, had, had in some ways decided that she wasn't going to live her life like this anymore and that she was dealing with the issues where even her brothers and sisters were too young. They didn't really understand. And so, for me, the breaking of the objects is 
I think it's a breaking of some part of herself, breaking of some part of her family. And when she looks at the photographs of the Jewish family, it's her realising that this family is just like her family, a bourgeois Berlin family with the same dog, the same clothes, everything. So for me that was very important. And the photographs are my husband's um, German family and that's his mother and his auntie and his grandma. Yeah, you'd have the same beautiful photographs. Yeah. Do we have to stand the back here? Thank you. Hi, Kate. Congratulations on the film. Um, I was just wondering, there's a lot of anxiety today in the Australian film industry about us losing our great filmmakers to overseas projects. Uh, do you have any intentions to make films at home still? Um, I hope that I get offered work. <laughs> Yeah, I think, of course, I would love to make a film here. I just, I just really like this project and that's why it happened to be in Germany. To that end, it's quite interesting because Alyssa Down is making a Lenny Riefenstahl biopic. Do you think there'll be more Australian and German co-productions now you've kind of forged the path? Um, perhaps not. <laughs> I'm not sure. It, I don't... I think it was very, very difficult, to be honest. Um, I think co-productions are quite difficult. I think you have to have a real passion for the project. So it's not about whether it would be a German film. It'd have to be something that you really love to go through the pain, I think. Fair enough. We've got a question just here. Um, thank you. Uh, I really love the dark room, so it's great to see Australian stories get up on the screen. But um, I'm just sort of interested in the funding processes to get a film like this up on in our cinemas and into festivals. Like, I just would like to know how you acquire the funding to make this film and the difficulty it is to to get the money. We were just um, hearing it was difficult. It's, I can't really answer that question because I'm not um, Liz Watts or Paul Welsh, who are the producers. It was government funded in Australia and it's um, a co-production between Germany, Scotland um, and Australia. But I don't have the details, sorry. Hi, Kate. I love the film. My question is logistical about the baby. It was on camera so much and it was crying such a lot. Who owned the baby and <laughs> were the parents there and how did they deal with it? It was, it, it was really difficult, actually. Before the baby would come on set, I could see the whole crew would change because the whole crew really cared about the baby. And as soon as we knew that the baby was coming, the whole crew would start to stress and get really, ooh. And I think even Saskia, it was incredibly difficult having to, to sort of torment this poor little baby. We just really hope it hasn't got any lasting psychological issues. But the mum the was fantastic. She's a Montessori teacher. She was on set the whole time and she would just pick the baby up off Saskia and throw it in the air and he'd start laughing straight away almost. So it was really strange. He, it was like you'd put a switch a button on. But he was always really well cared for and loved, but he just hated the actual 
being on set. He didn't like it, and that's why he was crying. But he, we weren't pinching him or, you know, slapping him or anything. He just didn't like it. He wanted to be with his mum. So maybe you haven't created an actor in him. Um, but it's interesting because his crying becomes so much part of the soundscape. Can you talk about designing the... Because, I mean, as, as much as Max Richter's score is so prevalent, you use silence a lot, but you also use that piercing cry. Can you talk about developing the soundscape? Yeah, the baby crying was one of the big issues when we um, did the sound design because we knew that if we had the baby crying in all of these scenes, it would actually be too overwhelming for the audience. So if you notice when we, some, as the film progresses, what we started to do was you'd see the baby crying and we'll t we took the sound out a few times. Um, and it was a stylistic choice, but it, it just also helps. It's, it, a baby crying that much is, it's almost a torturous experience. So we, it was one of the big decisions with the sound design was how we'd use that to punctuate the film. And also to, a hungry baby is, an uncomfortable hungry baby is crying and that had to be realistic. But we also were very aware that the audience couldn't, wouldn't be able to bear it. Wow, that's interesting. So you actually took out crying. That's extraordinary. I was also really interested in the fact that Peter became a commodity thematically in the film. So can you talk about developing that where people are trying to take him because it means that they'll get food or he really became, you know, a commodity? Yeah, if you had a baby in, that, in those times, you could um, beg and use the baby to get food. And um, so... Yeah, Peter became a, a commodity and it was, it was one of the things that came out of rehearsals, I think, was in the end Saskia saying to Thomas, I'll give you the baby. And it's sort of, she's reached uh, rock bottom, really. And also what was interesting for us was that during the film, she sort of switches off from the baby. She's too young to deal with him, so she, she puts him away, sort of... Um, yeah, I, I was. Uh, he uh, he was such a strange little character. At the end, now I find it really touching that he's walking, and he's kind of happy, and it means that in a way he'll get on with his life. And he's the the one really that's the least touched by what's happened to them. But and yet he was almost given away, or he was almost stolen. So it's interesting. I think we have time for one more question. Back to the same. Kate, you question Australia's capacity to deal with its past. Is Germany ready for this film? And how do you think it'll go down in Germany? Saskia? Um, it's an interesting question. I'm not quite sure yet. I'm really um, interested in that too, but... Um, when I talk to my classmates um, about um, me playing a Nazi girl, they really were like joking about it, or oh, you're going to show the Hitler greeting or stuff. But I'm sure that um, when they'll see the film, they, they'll change their mind or their view on it. And um, I mean, they weren't serious about that, but... Um, I'm really interested. I hope they're kind of different, um, different. How do you call it? Response or yeah. Let's see. 
cater you waiting with bated breath to see how it'll be received in Germany? I'm a little nervous. Um, I think, yeah, we don't have any control over that. So we just have to wait and see. It'll be interesting. Um, we're not sure. Wait and see. Okay, everyone, will you please join me in thanking Kate and Saskia?